My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Hello everyone, Timothy Lawson here, your host for This Week at VA. 25 episodes in the bag and a lot of great feedback regarding the program. I truly appreciate it. I've been receiving a lot of inquiries every day for potential guests on the show, which is awesome. I'm also getting a lot of people still asking how to find the podcast and how to listen. Well, if you're listening to this, you've probably found a way to listen, but here are a few other options in case you prefer one of these We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, so if you have one of those apps on your mobile device, you can simply search This Week at VA, and you'll find VA's blue logo. Just click on that, subscribe in the app of your choice, and the feed updates every Friday at 4.30 a.m., so you'll have that episode ready for your listening pleasure on your way to work on your Friday morning commute or any time during the day that you enjoy listening to podcasts. Each podcast episode gets its own blog post on our Vantage Point blog, blogs.va.gov. If you click on an episode post, you'll see a short summary of the episode and a player at the bottom of the article. Just click play on that player to listen to the episode through your browser. And finally, if you want to listen through your browser, uh, but want to listen to the rest of the episodes in in the library, not just the latest or a specific episode, uh, you can go to blogs.va.gov slash vantage slash podcast. That's the podcast main blog page, and there's an embedded player in there that features all of the catalog of episodes uh, with the most recent one at the top, and then you can scroll through the rest, and so you can listen to them all, and uh, you can listen to a bunch of them. Uh, just through that page there. If you're new to VA podcasts and you want a little guidance on which episodes to listen to after this one, uh, I recommend episode 7 with Kayla Williams, episode 11 with Blaine Smith, uh, episode 19 with Secretary Shulkin, or episode 24 with Bill Roush. Those have seemed to be our most popular thus far. This week's feature interview is with Doug McCormick. Doug is an Army veteran and is currently a managing partner at HCI Equity Partners. He's also on the board and involved with Team Rubicon. He's also on the board and involved with Team Red, White, and Blue and Bunker Labs. Doug is going to give us his thoughts on Team RWB, Bunker Labs, and financial strategy for veterans and others. Note, we are not providing any financial advice, and VA does not officially endorse Doug's guidance on money, but we did invite him onto the podcast because it is an important topic, and we respect him as a subject matter expert. If you have any questions or want to explore the ideas that Doug brings, consult your families or your personal financial advisor or contact Doug directly using the contact information he provides. With that said, here's Doug McCormick. Enjoy. Doug McCormick, yeah. Army officer. Uh, what would you say? What, what, what is your actual title? I have your I have your card right in front of me here. Managing partner, HCI Equity. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Before we get into your service, sort of lay a foundation of sort of where you are now. Sure. So uh, I um, co-founded an investment firm called HCI Equity Partners, and so I've basically been a professional investor for 
um, the last uh, 20 years, and um, I'm managing money on behalf of institutions, so insurance companies, uh, pension funds, foundations. Uh, and so I've, that's my day job, and I'm, I'm very passionate about um, the lessons I've learned in investing. And I recently wrote a book called Family Inc., uh, Using Business Principles to Maximize Your Wealth. And that's a really a book geared to personal finance for individuals. And so I'm trying to uh, make sure we're bringing that, that message to uh, the veteran community. Okay. So um, one thing that all of my podcast guests have in common, no matter what branch we served, what era, whatever, we all made the decision to serve. Bring us back to that, to that decision for you. Uh, so uh, to a certain extent, it probably wasn't um, a conscious decision. So I was a high schooler, and I got recruited to wrestle at West Point. Um, I was very intrigued by the opportunity to serve and the uh, academy experience. And so as a 17-year-old, I'm not sure I fully appreciated what service meant, but I uh, went to school and uh, then ultimately uh, served following graduation. And you know, I would tell you um, I'm super fond of the experience, and I think uh, for me it's been a real um, formative part of my uh, life journey, uh, both the academy experience as well as my active duty service. Uh, I'd also tell you I was commissioned in the early 90s, and so a very different time than our soldiers are enduring today. And so while I'm proud to have served, um, I think what our soldiers are experiencing of late is a very different uh, level of service and commitment than what I experienced. Sure. And how long did you serve? Uh, five years. Five years. Okay. Yep. Um, what's, do you have an experience or story from your time in service that you think sort of sums up uh, what your experience was like or maybe like the epitome of your time in? Um, you know, I think it's, I'd, I'd say I'd take the life lesson from it, uh, which is I believe that leadership is something that's not intellectually challenging, but it's personally challenging. And what I mean by that is real leadership comes from leadership by example. And I, I've really, that was very much reinforced for me uh, in my experiences. I had great um, soldiers that I had the, the good fortune of serving with, and they motivated me um, to be a better person. And I've tried to perpetuate that in my, uh, my life experiences outside of service. So what, um, what prompted getting out then? Yeah. So um, probably youth and uh, the time I served. And what I mean by that is um, I got commissioned in the early 90s. In the mid-90s, we were downsizing dramatically. And so I think between the time I got commissioned and when I left, the Army um, was probably down by 40% active duty. And I was convinced as a student of history that we were um, going to benefit from the peace dividend and uh, you know, the service would not be required the way it had been historically. So um, you know, fast forward 20 years, obviously, I was tremendously wrong. Uh, but as a young, impatient person, um, I, I was not able to see that big, that big picture and the big requirement. Well, I mean, you're not the only person that got that wrong. Um, you know, I've spoken to a couple of veterans, even just on this podcast, where they joined pre-9-11, even just months before, and the recruiter is trying to tell their parents, like, don't worry, we're in peacetime, we're not, no one's anticipating an attack on the United States. You know, there's no, like, war's not imminent. Then sure enough, a couple months later, the attacks on 9-11 happened and our whole war changes and, and you know, that whole narrative changes. So uh, you're not the only person that did, <laughs> that did not expect us to be uh, in two long wars uh, 20, 20 years later. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. So, um, so you had a very different type of service, but you still served, right? There was still a sense of purpose there. You still had the discipline of a soldier. Um, when you got out, did you experience any sort of emotional crisis as it came to sort of finding your new identity? 
Yeah, so I would say um, I, don't, I don't think I experienced an emotional crisis and probably because I was very busy, very challenged and was engaged in um, achieving the goals that I had set out. But I would tell you I felt emptiness um, and a longing for uh, community and belonging and in many ways that's why I'm here today. Uh, so over time, um, I've felt a desire to continue to get more engaged with the, vet with the veteran community and have a positive impact. And so over the last several years, I've gotten involved. I'm a board member at uh, Team RWB, and I'm the chairman of Bunker Labs. And I just think those are two organizations that I, I'm so passionate about because they are uh, not around a narrative of veterans as victims, but around a narrative of how do veterans empower each other to accomplish amazing things. And so I just am, am so excited to be kind of back in the community and, and hopefully having a positive impact on um, you know, veterans as they think about transition and the world of opportunity in front of them. Yeah. Man, those, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, let's, um, we'll start with Bunker Labs. Okay. Because um, I probably have the least questions about that. Um, even, even more. Let's actually start with Team RWB. Okay. What attracted you about Team RWB, and what what is like your? I know you're on the board of directors. What do you what do you feel is your biggest contribution to that organization? Um, so first of all, that what has attracted me to Team RWB is um, the capability and passion of that team. Uh, you've met Blaine. Yeah. I don't know if you've met Mike Irwin, JJ Pinter. I mean, they have just an incredible team and it's not just you know the top guys I mean it's everybody in the organization is someone that I'm very proud to be affiliated with and so to, to be part of an organization that's so committed to mission and so capable I think is very exciting and I'm a total believer in uh, the mandate not only I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a um, you know, I'm a former army wrestler and so the concept of PT and the endorphin high I totally buy into and the sense of community uh, created around team and that collective experience I think is very important for the veteran community. And so when I saw what they were doing and the, and the, the business model, if you will, of, of how they were setting up chapters across the country, um, I knew that was something that I had to be involved with but also believed passionately uh, in what they were doing. In terms of my role, um, you know, I'm trying to be an objective thinker and these guys are executing every day. You know, they're in the trenches, if you will. And so I have the luxury of not being so close to the day-to-day -day challenges and hopefully I'm focused more on uh, helping them think about where they're headed long-term, what their growth aspirations are, how they can raise capital and develop the right capabilities to really have the maximum impact um, possible in the veteran community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you, are you active with the local chapter? Do you running you, anything? You know, um, some, I, I'm actually travel a fair amount. And yeah. so uh, I've been in a number of chapters, um, you know, out and about. Uh, but I've, I've honestly um, not been as involved as I want to. I got, I got sure. a daughter who's 15, and I want to get down, her down to an event uh, or two as well. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, I have the Eagle t-shirt. I've been tracking like the local chapter on Facebook and stuff, but I, I still haven't pulled myself into a, uh, a local uh, run or event. So uh, just last night I went into the chapter and found the people that are talking specifically about my neighborhood uh, and are following them more closely now to make sure I can get involved. So, so this is, I think this is one of the neat things about the organization. There's lots of ways to participate. And so I follow it on Facebook, I'm in the conversation. And even if I'm not at a workout, you feel like you're part of something bigger. Yeah. And you know, you see some event that someone did, and it's inspirational. It's aspirational. And uh, I think that in and of itself is one of the benefits of the organization. 
Bunker Labs. Yep. It's something I don't know a lot about it. I know I've heard it mentioned many times around here uh, among entrepreneurs and and mm -hmm. uh, veterans. Um, is it like a incubator for for veteran entrepreneurs, or is it? Uh, can you describe it a little bit more? Yeah, to it me? is. So, so first of all, um, uh, founded by a guy named Todd Connor, yeah. and I think Todd is is a real visionary uh, and saw a need where uh, historically veterans have um, shown a propensity to be good entrepreneurs, and overall in America, the uh, likelihood of people becoming entrepreneurs seems to be decreasing. And Todd felt like um, is that right. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, um, you know, you, you see all the big stories about yeah. Facebook and, and the many successes, but as you, as you look at overall participation rate, it's certainly down substantially from like the World War II era when lots of vets came home. Almost 42%, and, I think. And they right? started their own businesses, yeah. right? And so I think the premise is veterans have a lot of the innate skills that make them very good entrepreneurs. We're leaders, we're. Um, objective and goal-driven, we're organized, we're disciplined, how can we surround them um, with a support structure to allow them to become educated about what entrepreneurship is, and then also uh, to have mentors that can guide them in that journey. And so Bunker Labs is, is essentially an organization that um, brings people together to explore uh, how to pursue entrepreneurship and promote that dialogue so people can uh, become informed about their choice. And in, in that regard, um, success can be a wide range of outcomes. It doesn't have to be that someone started a business. It could be that they educated themselves and concluded it wasn't for them. Yeah. And that's still success to create um, informed veterans that have evaluated their options and chosen the best fit for them and also created a sense of community in the process. Yeah. I need to, I need to check it out. As someone who has had uh, a side business for a few years now, I'm still not even quite sure what I'm doing. Like I don't like, yeah. you know, tax season rolls around, or I'm like, am I even doing any of this right? Yeah. You know, and I, and I wonder if Bunker Labs would be a good place to uh, to get educated. It, it absolutely would be. There's a DC chapter here. Yeah. You got to go check it out. And the thing I would say is, uh, a, you probably learned something. B, you wouldn't feel so alone in your own endeavors because sure. you you have people that you can commiserate with. Um, and C, I think you'd have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Alexandria. Perfect. Easy. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. Uh, finances. You wrote the book Fam Family Inc. Uh, centered mostly on personal finances for the average American uh, in general, but you obviously have uh, an affinity for veterans and veteran success. Um, I think that um, in a lot of the conversations that I've had with veterans about any crisis that they've had in their life um, at any stage post-military, uh, it's amazing to me how many things they're willing to admit to but finances just isn't one. Um, can you speak on that a little bit as to, um, before we get into some of your insights yeah, on, fi yeah. on financial health, wh why is it that veterans are, are, even now, where we're willing to be so vulnerable to the world and our problems, where finances are still the ones we have a hard time opening up about? Yeah, so, so I think it uh, has to do with, um, first of all, acknowledging that this is a life skill and it takes many years to get good at. And I think it's something that oftentimes um, families grow up and they don't talk about it in the family, right? So it, it's often challenging between father-son or mother-daughter, mother father-daughter to have these conversations and admit that we've made mistakes because, um, you know, people uh, tend to view mistakes as uh, bad decisions or immaturity. And in many cases, it can be just ignorance. Yeah. And I think the reason that I'm so focused on having this conversation in the veteran community is 
First of all, I tell you, I think it's one of the biggest problems in America that no one's talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just a veteran issue. Sure. Having said that, within the veteran community, um, veterans have unique circumstances that make achieving financial security even harder. And you know a lot of these, but um, just to review them quickly, you know, 83% of veterans will get out of service and make a mid-career change. Most veterans move around quite a bit before they get out, and so they don't have that same professional network around them. Many veterans um, you know, have mature families or dependents, and those create financial obligations. And so all of those things kind of need to go into the, the game plan, if you will, of successfully transitioning. I would say on the positive side, veterans uh, have the GI Bill, which in many cases is probably the largest asset that they'll exit with. Uh, and they have a great skill set and brand to be associated with you know, high performance organizations. And so there's a lot of potential there that I think we don't do a good enough job of teaching how to, how to turn that potential into dollars and value. And there's also some challenges that we need to specifically acknowledge. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the transition period of getting out of the military, uh, maybe between exiting the military and starting the first like salary-based job or full-time job, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and one, I, I guess maybe starting the, the first job that would lead into a career. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of veterans that get out, they'll get that first job, but it's not a career job. It's yeah. a, I need to start paying my own bills job or something to get me by until I start school, something like that. I'm talking before they start their next, the next step in their career. Let's talk about that window. What mistake do you see veterans and maybe Americans in general in a transition yeah. like that make with their finances? Yeah. So, so two things I would say. The first is I think um, veterans, the day, the day you join service, you should start preparing to separate. And I don't mean that as a short-sighted thing. Sure. I mean it as 83% of veterans will, and so people need to plan that that's an eventuality. And I think a lot of times, you know, the scenario you described is accurate where people take a job because they need a job to pay bills. And I would argue if you can prepare appropriately and give yourself some financial flexibility, I think you're better off taking as much time as you need to find the right job and the job that's going to offer the best long-term career options. Yeah. So the second thing I'd tell you is a common mistake is uh, when we think about our jobs, we think about them in, um, too narrowly and too short-term focused. And when I say short-term, we ask ourselves, how much is this job going to pay me this year? Right. And obviously that's a real important uh, aspect of the choice, but I think the better way to think about it is, how much can this job pay me over a lifetime? And am I building a career, not just getting a job? And thinking about compensation, it's not just how much I got paid um, in any year, but it's the skills that I've developed, it's the brand that I get to become because of the organization that I'm affiliated with. And if you think about managing your your um, employment value over a lifetime, if you will, I think that's a much better way to think about it than how much can I get paid this year or next year. Yeah. I remember when I got in, I was at, uh, I think I was at my MOS school. It was even that early in. Uh, one of the sergeants there was like, if there's any advice I can give you, it's don't live paycheck to paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. Great advice, right? Stash some money, don't rely on each paycheck. I think every American has probably heard that at some point in their life. But then there, it never amounted to more than that. I don't feel like the Marine, the Marine Corps never really gave you much more financial advice other than don't don't buy a car at thirteen percent interest. Yep. Don't you know like yep. don't yep. it was it was don't be stupid advice and it wasn't it wasn't don't be great advice. Yeah. And in, and there was a huge like opportunity missed there. And I've seen a lot of veterans come out with 
padded savings or you know they yeah. starting in a good job whatever they still don't know what to do with their money and therefore they're sort of behind their peers that are maybe getting that advice elsewhere you know what is some simple uh, you know you know the VA can't necessarily uh, I mean I can't give any financial, financial. advice but sure. um, just what should veterans be thinking of when they're when they're when uh, they're, they have the money to invest in they want to make sure they take that step yeah so so a couple things and, and these are just my opinions but I think um, if you look at the services, I think in general they do a pretty good job when it comes to you know financial management of playing defense. And when I say defense, it's don't screw up. Don't get the payday loan, don't get the expensive car loan, don't get the high uh, credit card bill, don't miss your rent payment, right? Yeah. I think when you get out in, in the civilian environment, it's more important to play offense and learn how to play offense, which is accumulating wealth because you're getting good jobs and you're learning how to invest your money in a way that it will grow. And I think it's much easier to save or to grow your way to independence than it is to save your way. And by that, what I mean is you're investing your dollars in things that are going to um, be high return over a long time. The second thing I think that, that um, veterans often get stuck with is, um, and I, I think this is appropriate, uh, when in service, uh, DOD makes it very simple financially. And what I mean by that is we have a more simplified tax code tax treatment for veterans, your commissary and your things that you likely buy, you know you're getting good value there, and your health care is fully paid for. I find a lot of vets get out and they're like, oh my God, I never really understood health insurance and the, what real tax rates look like for most Americans, and all of a sudden you're not at the PX, but you're somewhere else. And so I think coming out, just acknowledging that um, you're not used to the civilian um, landscape, if you will, of all those financial choices and spending the time to be very judicious about you know, how you're going to do that, I think, is, is valuable. Um, if you said to me, what's the most Im important advice I could give to people coming out? I would say, number one, financial flexibility is the most, one of the most important assets you have. And so if you can have a little bit of savings and I'm not using those, I'm not suggesting that people use that savings for retirement. I'm suggesting they use those savings to transition to the best career opportunities they can. I think that's number one. The second thing is before you invest in stocks and bonds, invest in yourself through education, through uh, things that are going to help your career, maybe entrepreneurship. The third thing I'd say is create that contingency fund. Life is full of curveballs and the ability to have a couple months stashed away that will back you up when something goes wrong, I think is really valuable for that young family that's transitioning. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe it's even worth mentioning, uh, always in these conversations and you know, as an interviewer, I'm susceptible to doing it as well, like what's the, what's the biggest mistake people are making? What's the most important thing? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's important to mention what's two, three, four, five, maybe what's fifth on the list of, uh, maybe someone's listening is like, yeah, I've heard that, I'm doing that, I got that. I'm still quite a little unsure of w where to go next. Maybe what's the little nugget of advice for the people that are already ahead of what we're talking about so, right now? So if, if you've done the things that I've mentioned uh, already, you're probably in a situation where um, you know, you're not living paycheck to paycheck and you've transitioned into a good career and now you're thinking about how do I really accumulate wealth for my retirement? When you get to that stage, um, this is uh, more on the investment side, I'm a big advocate of passive investing, and that basically means indexing, uh, things like ETFs, organizations like Vanguard, Charles Schwab, there's tons of them out there, um, and a real focus on minimizing the expenses, minimizing the taxes, 
and just keeping that, um, those, those dollars invested and keeping consistent. And what I mean by that is um, even if it's 25 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, a little bit of money invested toward um, retirement over a very long time period where it can compound is really meaningful dollars. And I think a lot of times we're not, you know, people in general are not good at understanding the impact of that compounding. So 25 doesn't seem like a lot today, but over 30 years, you know, every other week out of your paycheck, and if that's growing at a couple percent a year, those are real numbers. Wasn't it Einstein that said like one of the greatest inventions is compounding interest? He did, he did. And the way compounding works is um, it's much more powerful if you start early. And so the longer time period you have to let compounding do its magic, uh, the better off you are. Yeah, I think it's, it's important to note, uh, and again, this is just from things that I've heard, uh, and now in my own personal experiences, I have a new career and I'm, and I'm starting to invest, uh, is even if, even if square one is in your 30s, it, square one needs to be square one and needs to start. Um, I've seen a lot of I've seen people get discouraged because they aren't the 21 year old that's that's starting their Roth IRA right away. That are yeah. you know and they get discouraged yeah. by that. And I think that take they almost make excuses as why is to why now isn't the right time to pull the trigger or yeah. what you know yeah. like they're already behind the get rich scheme and don't realize that investing needs to start now in order for it to to mm-hmm. grow to grow the way that it should. Yeah, I would say on that is um, you know. Uh, if any of us could turn back time, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? So that, that op- option's off the table. And so now all we can do is make the most of what we have available on a go-forward basis. And, you know, the good news about uh, financial security is uh, if you've made a lot of mistakes, if, if you do a couple things, you can usually work your way out of it. One is uh, get focused on your career because the likelihood that you're going to create real financial security if you get a good career will solve a lot of the problems for spending too much on credit cards and not saving at an early age. The second thing is, um, if you're not ready to retire at 65, I don't think that's the worst thing. And so you work a couple years longer, you save a little bit more, and that can have a meaningful impact, um, you know, kind of in, in your overall financial security. And, and for me personally, I'm a, I'm a high energy uh, kind of person. I don't really think I want to retire. I may want to do less, but I want to stay involved and stay engaged. So I'm not sure you know, sitting at home watching TV, retired is, yeah. is really where I want to be either. I think I really, and I've heard so many people make that same sentiment, and, and I think that I think the idea of retirement has changed so much over the past 25 years. Whereas, you know, I hear my parents talking about retirement. They're entering their, they're about to enter their 60s, and you know, they, they're looking at is at 65, they're done, and they're just relaxing, right? Yeah. Whereas like my generation's like, yeah, like at 65, I don't want to have to, work necessarily like quote unquote work anymore but I'm still going to be doing plenty of mm-hmm. things that motivate me and, and, and passion me and some of those may have income some of them may not but the idea of retirement I think for most people is being able to continue to stay active in a in a career or elsewhere without having to be um, you know binded by money yeah so so you know one of the reasons why I think financial literacy is such a big deal is exactly this issue and so my granddad, for example, um, in his generation, people uh, on average retired at about age 65. And on average, people passed away about four years after age 65, so 69, right? So you had kind of a four-year life expectancy that you had to manage financially around. Yeah. And in many cases, people had Social Security, but they also had some kind of defined pension, which is very rare in America today. Um, and so you look at people today that are retiring, on average, they're retiring at 65, and on average, they'll live 16 years. 
And so there's a whole um, different, you know, 400% more period that they've got to figure out how to manage their financial affairs. And so obviously that's great. That's the benefits of, you know, better health care and, and greater longevity, but it comes with a real financial cost. So I think it's a good planning, but I also think it's revisiting what retirement is about. And, and if you got the health, um, boy, there's so much more left good stuff left to do, right? Yeah. I remember when I was growing up, there was a, there was a place called Royal Fork that wasn't too far. It was a buffet place. And there was a lady there in her 70s um, that poured the coffee because she wanted to. Like, she just liked having a thing to do outside of retirement. Yeah. And after she retired, she still wanted to have a reason to get out of the house. And uh, going around the tables and pouring coffee was sort of like her thing. And uh, and I'm, I can only assume that you know the the little buffet place didn't, pay, didn't you know pay her that much. So clearly she you know uh, she was able to set herself in a position where she didn't have to worry about money and could just go do something that made her yeah. happy and active. Uh, again, I think it gets back to some of the things we talked about with uh, Team RWB. You know, uh, happiness is not an end state. It's about a community. It's about feeling contributing. It's about having relationships. And um, you know that's that's. Uh, Money is never going to do those things for you. Hopefully, it allows you yeah. to spend the time on those things that will really drive happiness. Yeah. Um, what, is, what is a skill, a talent, a discipline that you learned while you're in the military that you think is contributing to your success right now? Um, so, you know, I, I, I think this uh, started, started at West Point, um, but I think the emphasis um, on what leadership is, and I think it's, a, it's a, something that's pretty holistic, but it's clear communications, it's living by example, um, it's high integrity. Um, you know, those things, I had an opportunity to kind of develop those values and those skills uh, in service, and I find um, that that still guides me today in terms of how I try to conduct myself in my business affairs. And I think, you know, um, the same traits that make a good soldier, make a good entrepreneur, make a good citizen. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, Blaine Smith and Todd Connor. Mm -hmm. um, who are some other veterans in the veteran space, maybe one or two that, that come to mind, um, that you really admire or that really have you excited about what they're doing and they're part of the, the community? Um, so so uh, I guess I would say a little bit um, context to the response. So as you can see, I'm, I gravitate to... Um, innovative organizations, I think Team RWB and Bunker Labs are that, and, and guys that are focused on trying to create in, in some kind of startup environment. So uh, Mike Irwin, um, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, Mike um, was uh, you know, the, one of the visionaries of Team RWB, and now he's off started another program called the Positivity Project, um, which is another nonprofit about engaging um, our young kids of the importance of values and community and giving back and thinking about others. And so I'm, I'm excited about his mission, but I'm also excited to see Mike out there taking another swing at it. Um, and I think I, I'd say Bill Rausch um, mm -hmm. is a similar guy. And I think um, I just find Bill uh, to be very funny for starters, uh, but also just, just a, a great guy that's uh, kind of charting his own path, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think, think you're gonna continue to see him being an influencer in the space. Yeah. How, if someone, if a veteran or anybody who's been listening to this is, has been hearing your thoughts on, um, you know, financial independence or financial growth, whatever it may be, and is sort of inspired, um, like where can they find more of your thoughts and insights? Yeah, so um, first of all, the book is called Family Inc. Um, Using Business Principles to Maximize Your Wealth. 
Uh, there's a website called familyinc.com, and there you'll learn about the philosophy of the book. Um, there are some tools and calculators that people can use to kind of assess where they are, uh, and I've also got um, some sections specifically focused toward the veteran community as you think about um, financial literacy. I've also written a bunch of articles on some of the unique challenges that veterans face, and, and those are referenced there um, as well. Obviously, you can buy the book on, on Amazon. Uh, the other thing I'd say is I'm, I'm trying to partner with organizations that have a mandate around economic empowerment in the veteran space. And so I've been fortunate enough to donate books or partner with organizations like the PenFed Foundation, the Institute for Veterans and Military Families, uh, Student Veterans of America, the Pat Tillman Foundation, because all of those organizations are doing education, they're doing employment, career management, financial literacy or entrepreneurship. And those, in my mind, are the kind of the four pillars of achieving financial security. Yeah. Do you use VA for anything? Uh, Education? Did you use it? No, no. Um, yeah. But but I'm I'm a big fan of the organization. I'm a big yeah. fan of the mandate. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, do you do you have Montgomery and GI Bill? Honestly, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't believe so. Yeah. Um, I, I've never um, tried to get the education benefits. I've never um, uh, felt a need to use them. So yeah, probably a bad answer. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's it's a real answer, right? I mean, I think that it's um, it's important to to realize that we that there's still uh, a segment of veterans that just are unsure of their of their benefits. Yep. I think that um, uh, I'm sure plenty of people listening uh, can relate um, can, can relate. relate to that. Yeah. Doug, I really appreciate you talking with hey, me. Um, appreciate the time, man. It's a great cause, and uh, appreciate what you're doing to spread the word. Yeah. Thank you. We served our country like those before us. You know, it was a dangerous era. All of Vietnam was dangerous. The carnage of war left an indelible mark on me. We came back and built lives. As time went on, we faced new challenges and found support to handle them. I went to the VA, talked to my doctor. I started doing groups. I started doing one-on-one -on -one counseling. At maketheconnection.net, you can hear our stories and find tools and services available to you. One piece of financial literacy and guidance that VA does provide is on beneficiary financial counseling services and online will preparation. VA makes financial planning and online will preparation services available at no cost to beneficiaries of service members group life insurance, traumatic injury protection, family service members group life insurance, veterans group life insurance. Those are all of the SGLI uh, variants. Service members interested in financial counseling may contact their commands, financial specialist, or financial readiness counselor. Members may also visit militaryonesource.mil or 1-800-342-9647 for additional information. The financial counseling and online will preparation services offered on VA's website or through VA are only for SGLI, VGLI, and FSGLI beneficiaries and service members who have received TSGLI benefits. Today's Veteran of the Day is Army Veteran Marty Martinez. Marty enlisted in the Army in 1991 and took his oath during Operation Desert Shield. His primary and secondary MOSs were infantryman and generator mechanic. We thank Marty for his service. To read Marty's full write-up and to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov.
That's it for episode 26. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you taking your time to listen to these powerful stories. If you have any feedback, guest recommendations, or questions you'd like to have addressed here on the show, please email us, newmedia at va.gov, or tweet them to us using hashtag VAPodcast. Follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. 